Please be seated and good morning. Today is Respect Life Sunday, the first Sunday of October designated each year by the bishops as a day when we give special emphasis to the sanctity of life. There's a lot to be thankful for on this particular Respect Life Sunday, notably, of course, the recent Supreme Court decision in Dobbs v. Jackson that brought an end to Roe v. Wade after almost 50 years. Now, you know, of course, that that decision did not make abortion illegal. It simply put the legal determination in the hands of state legislatures. So it's incumbent on us to redouble our efforts at the state and local levels to do what we can to defend life. But while we're thankful, there's also much to be concerned about. We currently have the most pro-abortion president and the most pro-abortion speaker of the House of Representatives in our nation's history, both of whom proclaim loudly and often what good Catholics they are. They, their party, and the left in general in the aftermath of the Supreme Court decision have essentially declared war on the unborn and on those who speak and act in defense of the unborn and in support of their mothers. They are striving in every way possible to make abortion as plentiful as possible. Abortion for any reason or for no reason, right up to and even beyond the moment of birth. And you have to ask yourself, what could possibly motivate that ideology? I would suggest that it is a demonically inspired obsession, and I don't use that phrase lightly at all. It is a demonically inspired obsession that sees abortion not even as simply a necessary evil, but as something desirable and even sacrosanct, something to be boasted about. Seen in that light, it would not be an exaggeration to think of abortion as the demonic sacrament of the left. How else do you explain, for example, the blind rage and hate that would prompt them to vandalize and terrorize dozens of crisis pregnancy centers across the nation, firebombing 17 of them. Those pregnancy centers are universally places where women in crisis pregnancies get real help, real help. Pregnancy testing and ultrasounds, counseling, baby clothes and equipment, access to various community resources, referral for housing assistance, and so on. And all of it, all of it, free of charge, free, provided out of no other motivation than the love of God and neighbor and the steadfast conviction, conviction that all human life is sacred. That, in contrast to the abortion industry, and make no mistake about it, it is an industry, that makes multiplied billions of dollars yearly, not only by performing abortions, but also by selling the body parts of the babies they kill. 
So while claiming to be pro-woman, the left has actually been savagely attacking the one institution that provides genuine, tangible help to women in crisis pregnancies. That is in part because the very existence of those pregnancy centers destroys their false narrative that says pro-lifers only care about the babies and not about the women. You've heard me say more than once that if you wait long enough, sooner or later, the devil overplays his hand. He's doing so right now, right now, before our very eyes. To my knowledge, no one has been prosecuted for the violence and firebombings at the pregnancy centers. But the FBI saw fit to conduct an early morning raid at the home of pro-lifer Mark Houck in Pennsylvania last week. Houck, a devout, father, a devout Catholic and father of seven, had been involved in an altercation outside an abortion mill in Philadelphia where he was praying the rosary in October of 2021, a year ago, in which a pro-abort activist was allegedly screaming obscenities in the face of Hauk's 12-year-old son. Hauk, like any good father would, intervened to defend his son, ultimately by pushing the man away from him. Charges were filed against him, but they were subsequently dismissed by the state of Pennsylvania and the city of Philadelphia. But now, a year later, the U.S. Justice Department has filed federal charges against Hauk, and the FBI sent more than 20 armed agents to his home in the early morning hours, where they forcibly arrested him in the presence of his wife and terrified children. That in spite of the fact that when Halk had become aware of the pending charges three months ago, he offered to turn himself in peaceably to respond to the charges. So what's going on? Mark Halk's attorney, Peter Breen, Peter Breen said, quote, this is a political prosecution. And what's clear from the Department of Justice at its highest levels, which is directing this case, is that they are trying to send a message to pro-life and people of faith, don't mess with us. They want to intimidate. They want to cause good people like Mark to stop praying and counseling at the abortion clinics of our country, and that's not going to happen." End quote. Brothers and sisters, the issue of legalized abortion in the United States is the fault line on the great cultural divide that separates two contradictory and mutually exclusive worldviews. On the one hand is the worldview representing the Judeo-Christian tradition and upheld steadfastly by the church that holds that there is a God to whom all human beings are ultimately accountable, and that, and that there is such a thing as absolute truth, and absolute good and evil, and right and wrong moral choices and behavior, and that from conception, every human being has God-given worth and dignity, and above all, the right to life.
On the other hand is the worldview of the relativists, the secularists, and the atheists that says that conception is merely a biological accident, that the value of human life is relative, that a preborn baby is not a person, and that therefore if that child is deemed unwanted or inconvenient, he or she can be disposed of at any point prior to birth, even within minutes of birth, and in the minds of a growing number of people even long after birth. Now let's be clear about something here. Roe v. Wade was a grievous affront to God, to his creation, and to humanity, and an egregious denial of the natural law. But it was not made in a vacuum. It occurred not as some judicial aberration that came out of the blue, but rather as a straightforward and chilling articulation of the low point to which our culture had already descended. As it is often said, law and politics generally lie downstream from culture. And our current popular culture has largely stopped thinking of human life as God's creation and of children as God's gift. And so the culture of death, as St. John Paul II aptly named it, the culture of death, whose door was swung wide open to abortion by the Supreme Court in 1973, is now ushering in infanticide, physician-assisted suicide, euthanasia, genetic engineering, human cloning, gender ideology, and so forth. St. Paul VI by the way, predicted, or we might say more accurately, prophesied this downward spiral in 1968 with the publication of Humanae Vitae, his encyclical, which reaffirmed the church's teaching on contraception. And you see, the question of where life comes from and who may set the boundaries of when we live and when we die is not some academic argument for scientists or politicians or judges to debate. It is rather an object of reality that is established in eternity by the infinite wisdom of Almighty God himself. And that determines what we believe as God's people about human identity, about what we value, and about our very reason for existing. The answers to those questions far, far transcend the efforts and the competency of scientists, politicians, and judges to establish them within the limited framework of science, politics, or human law. And it completely misses the point to say that it's a matter that is between a woman and her God or a woman and her doctor to decide, and that those of us who feel otherwise have no right to impose our values on those who don't. That argument misses the point precisely because it ignores and sidesteps the objective, undeniable reality of what abortion really is, namely, the unjustified, and unjustifiable taking 
of innocent, defenseless human life. This is why moral and ethical questions surrounding human life have become the great defining debate of our age. But God's word declares that children are a gift from the Lord, not just planned children, not just children with the right number of chromosomes, not just perfect children. All children are God's gift. God told Jeremiah the prophet in the first chapter of his prophecy, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Taken against the backdrop of that understanding, the very living presence in the world of every single person here in church this morning, you and I, stands as an absolute rebuke to those who would cavalierly assert that a physician and a pregnant woman have a right to end the life of an unborn child of God. In the end, the issue of abortion and all associated life issues hinge on the way a culture views human life. If human life bears the image and likeness of the divine creator, it is infinitely precious. But if human life is simply a product of biology or nature or a utilitarian entity, then utilitarian values become the determining factor. And so get the unwanted and the deformed, the dying, the unproductive, and even the aged out of the way of the strong and the healthy and the wanted. That is the ultimate end of what is are euphemistically called choice and reproductive freedom in our society. Now, having said all that, let me also say this before I close. As a priest and pastor, I am painfully aware of the sometimes desperate circumstances that would drive a woman to abort her own child. And I'm painfully aware that in every abortion, a baby dies and a woman is profoundly wounded. Even if the culture of death is successful in getting her to deny her woundedness, a woman who deliberately aborts her own unborn child comes away deeply wounded, sometimes physically, but always emotionally and spiritually. Because abortion is a perversion of both the spiritual and the natural order. And as such, it deeply impacts both mother and child. But I don't say that, nor do I say any of the things that I have said this morning to stand in judgment or to heap condemnation upon anyone. Everything I've shared with you about abortion this morning is bad news, exceedingly bad news. But there is good news as well. The good news is that both God and his church have their arms open wide in a continual invitation to forgiveness, healing, 
and reconciliation for those whose lives have been ravaged by the evil of abortion. God's way is always to bring good out of evil, light out of darkness, life out of death. And as a confessor, it has been my unspeakable privilege over the years to hear the confessions of a number of women who come to confession bringing before God the sin of abortion that was committed 20, 30, 40 years ago, and to be able to pronounce the sweet, sweet words of absolution, and to see God's mercy and grace displace condemnation and guilt. And so today, on this Respect Life Sunday, let's you and I recommit ourselves to do all we can to stand, not arrogantly ever, but always lovingly and humbly, to stand for life, to stand for the truth, to be a presence in the world that continually and manifestly upholds the culture of life, and above all, honors and obeys the Lord and creator of life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.